0: Yeah. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. We are rolling. Which means it's time for me to say <laughs> <laughs> that you're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. Good evening. How are you? My name is Sam Dingman. Uh, over here, it's Alan Smith, and uh, I think it's about time to get stupid. So let's do that now.
1: Baltimoreans, hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? We're going, we're going informal this week, y'all. We're rapping, we're rapping tonight. This so is, uh, uh,
0: this is what Dean Eastlake refers to as Baltimoreans bourbon or bust
1: <laughs> style. The All Star Game is here. Uh, we have accumulated over our week off and a uh, hundredth episode and other things a bunch of very important questions that we must get to post haste. So we're gonna we're gonna do that Sam.
0: we're gonna we're gonna jump right into them. but first it's important it's important for you guys to remember that uh, this is the, the 101st episode of Baltimore Ons, and no episode of Baltimore Ons would be complete without our most popular recurring segment, the B.J. Sirhoff Franchise Report. Oh, Beej. Um Alan, you know the old saying, when David Hazelhoff is inevitably knighted, what will he be called?
1: Uh, Sirhoff. Sirhoff, okay.
0: So this is episode 101, and uh, <laughs> oh, no. if you grew up in the... Southern Maryland, Northern Virginia, D.C. area, then uh, when you went to listen to your alternative music, you, of course, went to D.C. 101. Sure. But I think as you got older, you discovered alternative means of media distribution, right. such as, as podcasts of the type you're listening to now and of the type that you can find on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, of which we are a proud member along with our sister-wife podcasts. And that's all well and good, but one thing that I never want an alternative to... Sure. Is the co hosting company of my esteemed colleague Alan Smith, who is here as always to kind of position us appropriately before we get into the thick of it.
1: Episode 101, as Sam mentioned, is a number that suggests you're getting just a little bit more than you paid for. Like the Baker's Dozen or the 99 cent deal in reverse. In fact, More books are being published right now, Sam, with 101 in the title than with 100. That's because people are aware that they want to get that little extra deal. So you're more likely to see 101 ways to cook a rutabaga or 101 financial schemes that should be illegal, but instead are your ticket to retirement. But don't those titles just make you feel like you got a little bit lucky, like you had a little extra panache? Well, they shouldn't, because 101 is also an educated number, connoting the basic levels in knowledge that one must achieve to move up in higher education in Australia, Canada, South Africa, and the U.S. of A. Thus, it is often taken as a primer, Baseball 101 being the fundamentals of the game and the dimensions of the field, for example, or Politics 101 being the separation of powers and the absolute truths of politics, such as that absolute power corrupts absolutely. This, of course, reminds us that these same cliches hold true in sports as well as politics. There are certain incontestabilities built into life and into every sports outing. Power must always corrupt, and the team that scores the most points must always win. Pablo Neruda wrote, You can cut all the flowers, but you cannot keep spring from coming. And former English footballer Gary Lenker once wrote, Football is a simple game. 22 men chase a ball for 90 minutes, and in the end, the Germans always win. Benjamin Franklin wrote, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And in the same way that the gears of time grind ever forward, thus grinds forward the inevitable Derek Jeter farewell tour, which must want for nothing that the Mariano Rivera farewell tour had before it. The worst part, Sam, the worst part of all of that is is that when Derek Jeter stepped into the batter's box earlier this evening to lead off the All-Star game and promptly laced a double into the right-field corner, I couldn't help but mutter to myself sitting alone in my apartment, Yeah, Jets. Now, the terrible incident of Jeter and the home run that wasn't is a seminal moment in my own life that taught me that there is no justice in the world and that we're all fundamentally very much on our own. So please don't think, Baltimoreans. That I've gone soft on my stringent anti-Jeter stance. I'll just say, simply, at what I sincerely hope is the high point of this goodbye season, good riddance, sir, and thank you for giving me something to really, really get into hating for all of these years.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the B.J. Surhoff Franchise Report. Now, before we continue with the B.J. Surhoff franchise report, I just want to flag something mm. that I think came up in the first part of the program, which was, of course, Alan's typically well-researched and ornately languaged introduction. <laughs> so flowery was his text that he almost managed to conceal the hidden message he was trying to convey, which is that he's planning to retire. You heard him <laughs> at the very beginning admit that he has been reading financial textbooks. True. True. About how to accumulate money before you retire. That's true. Uh, And so, Alan, I would like to say, if you are, in fact, planning on retiring, um, I hope it is not with your podcast earnings (laughs) as a nest
1: egg. (laughs) At current rates, I'm going to have to continue to do this for several thousand years (laughs) before it is time for me to lay down the microphone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Culminating in your ability to purchase one Strawberry Jolly Rancher. With interest. (laughs) I'd be interested in a Strawberry Jolly Rancher. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, as we told you at the beginning of the program this evening, um, it's the All-Star break. There's no baseball happening, so... You know, we're kind of off our typical grind a little bit here. We've, we've allowed our minds to wander. We've allowed them to loosen a bit with the help of some Woodford Reserve podcasting juice. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to answer some questions that you find people have been sending us over the last several weeks. Uh, and just kind of wrap about the way things have gone in the first half of 2014 and what we think is going to happen the rest of the way. And uh, so let's get right into it, Alan. What do you, what do you got over there?
1: Well, I'm going to start off with a pair, uh, a brace of questions.
0: Uh, thank you for using the appropriate terminology. <laughs> uh,
1: I also want to take a moment to flag that it's ridiculous that we made it 101 episodes without Pablo Neruda making it into the introduction. <laughs> I, for one, am embarrassed. I'd also like to
0: say that were it three <laughs> podcast questions, that would be a pride of questions. <laughs>
1: So should that come up later, please? Six is a murder. We can can go on. (laughs) Uh, So from Ali Beswick, our friend on Twitter from across the pond, um, wants to know if we can please discuss how to mend his broken heart when we inevitably blow this four-game lead and we cannot answer with alcohol. But I want to pair that question with a slightly more optimistic outlook from Mr. Jake English of the Bird's Eye View podcast, who wants to know, when is it okay to start buying World Series tickets? <laughs> well, I'm going to start
0: with Jake's question. Okay. Um, I think the I, I would like to counter with a question of my own, uh, that being, what year are you buying World Series tickets from? <laughs> because you can buy autographed 1983 Orioles World Series championship tickets That's on true. this very day on That's eBay. True. And as a matter of fact, uh, using the power of the internet... I I would be glad to tell you exactly how much you would be charged for that privilege.
1: But um, I think it's about time for us to seriously consider investing in um, tickets for a Orioles game this year uh, and go down to Baltimore for the first time to watch a game live in person. (laughs) But I'm not sure it's time to go World Series tickets just yet.
0: Well, uh, I have uh, two sad pieces of information for you, Alan. (laughs) Okay. The first sad piece of information is that As 32-year-old men who spend, I would say, a good 40% of their week on a program nominally about the Baltimore Orioles, it's pretty ridiculous that we have not been to Oriole Park at Camden Yards this year. Especially Um,
1: because you purchased a car ostensibly with the only goal
0: of going to Orioles games. I I do call it the Orioles game mobile. (laughs) I would also like to tell you that for the surprisingly affordable price of twenty five dollars, really, on eBay right now, you can get not one, but two Orioles World Series ticket stubs, <laughs> meaning you're paying about twelve fifty each. Wow! For the privilege of a paper vestige of Baltimore glory,
1: which is amazing because it must have cost more. Than twelve fifty each to keep those tickets <laughs> since nineteen eighty three. <1983, laughs> you got to figure that have lost value effectively. Yeah, that person's
0: probably moved at least once in the last thirty one years, right? So uh, I would say I don't think it's a good idea to to start banking on an Orioles World Series just yet. But since we have been prompted to do so, mm. I'm going to go ahead and say. That if the Orioles get to the World Series, I think it's going to be an Orioles Nationals World Series. Whoa! And I think <laughs> it's going right to be into Prediction Jones a here. He- huh? A heap in good time. All
1: right, all right. Uh, I'm going to predict a Orioles Dodgers World Series because ah. I've watched Clayton-, Clayton Kershaw pitch recently, and he's goddamn terrifying. And you didn't turn to stone. <laughs> 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 so what do we tell uh, Allie, who is already? Already uh, planning for his broken heart. Read me, Ali's question one more time. Please discuss how to mend my broken heart when we inevitably blow this four-game lead. Well, I would like to uh, to ask Ali: Does he have twelve
0: dollars and fifty cents lying around? Because <laughs> I'd be willing to go in with him halvesies on a paper vestige of Baltimore glory. <laughs> See, and the great thing for him is he's on he's on pound sterling,
1: right? So, right.
0: Pff, I That's mean, they're basically giving it away. Jump to him. change. They're
1: going to nail him on the shipping though it's true keep it in mind it's true you don't want to you don't want to go too far too far overseas um sam are you looking forward to batman versus superman or the avengers 2 um those are comic book references (laughs) yes (laughs) yes i would say you might as well have asked me sam abate wants to know on twitter
0: Unfortunately, that is uh, approximately... I'm going to be able to answer that question approximately as well as
1: what is the most exciting free agent signing in the NHL this season? <laughs> well, let me take a swing at it then. Okay. Because actually, you can answer this question because you and I both went and saw the new Superman movie when it first came out in theaters.
0: I was trying to forget that, but and yes, we did.
1: And you, you, you were right to block it out because it was truly horrible. It was an unbelievably
0: terrible movie. Can I just say a quick thing about the new Superman movie? Yeah. The culminating battle... They're throwing each other through buildings. (laughs) Yeah. They're shooting each other with, like, missiles. They're flinging trucks at each other. And ultimately, Superman is able to defeat Lord Kang, or whatever his name is.
1: Sure, sure.
0: By snapping his neck. (laughs) That didn't happen when he got hit by one of the... 17 Brinks trains. trucks, <laughs> or when he flew through the piling of the building. Anyway, please continue.
1: So my uh, my theory would be that anything that they're doing in the reboot of Batman versus Superman is only going to be incredibly boring and incredibly uninteresting because they've forgotten how to make good Superman movies. Okay. Uh, as soon as they make Superman no longer Clark Kent, but in fact a active and uh, public figure, mm. you've lost anything that makes him interesting. So I don't have any confidence that they will treat him with any um, due respect. And I believe that uh, Ben Affleck is going to be Batman, which doesn't also fill my heart with joy. So I'm going to say The Avengers too. That is the one thing that I can
0: contribute to this conversation, actually, is that little-known Sam Dingman fact, through the majority of my junior and senior year of high school, people thought that I looked like Ben Affleck. Hmm. Which I say... Not necessarily as like a humble brag or anything, because that was also right at around the time people had pretty much decided Ben Affleck was a big old tool. (laughs) Uh, That's when he was um, massaging Jennifer Lopez's buttocks in music videos and such things and appearing in such seminal works as Pearl Harbor.
1: Woof. So rough, rough time. Well, you know, actually, in terms of redemption stories, Ben Affleck is pretty high up there. I am actually... He was, he was out of... He was, he was the equivalent of Nate McClouth. Uh He was out <laughs> of baseball. <laughs> and, and no one would give him the time of day. And he seems to have rebuilt a fairly su- successful career as a director and now apparently as Batman. I will say, uh,
0: he has been the director of some underrated films, I think. The Town mm. being one of them. He's also been the director of some overrated films. Yes. Uh, which is to say, what's the one... Um, Uh, go, uh, uh, what's about the CIA guy? Argo. Argo. I liked Argo. I thought it was Argo rated. Um.
1: There there it is. (laughs) Alan just pointed at the desk and I knew exactly what to do. Uh,
0: I will say that, uh, these days I get Jonah Hill a little bit more (laughs) than I get Ben Affleck just to, so people don't think I'm too high on myself.
1: Also, just to throw in my own, um, you know, comparable comp at a similar age, it was either, um. It was either Butthead or (laughs) (laughs) a a, a young Gary Busey.
0: Well, if you're going to be a Gary Busey,
1: you want to be the young Busey. No. No, there's really no Busey that you want to be.
0: That's true, too. (laughs) But I'll go Buddy Holly story before I go
1: Amazon Fire HD commercial. Sam, do you think that the Orioles could possibly get David Price without giving up either Bundy or Gossman, and do you think he is on Dan Duquette's radar as a part of the Danturian?
0: I think that the thing that I am the most excited about about the Orioles at the trading deadline this year is that Dan Duquette, I think, has shown very clearly the last two seasons he's not going to stand pat. Not going to stand pat? That's not That's not his style. If he thinks there's a way to improve the team, he's going to do that. Um, and we've seen that in spades the last couple years. What we haven't yet seen him do, though, is trade away somebody where it really stings to lose them. That's true. Because, he's sort of made, and right. in fact, I would argue that most of what he's done so far, actually, is give away small pieces for pretty big-time contributions from uh, th- what he got in return, particularly in the case of Bud Norris, I think. So that said, I am sure that... If there's a way to get David Price, he's looking at it. Sure. And if he thinks he can get David Price or Cole Hamels, I think, is another kind of dark horse that we should keep in mind, um, I, I think he's going to look at it. Uh, the question for me is, and in, in specific answer to this question, yes, I think you can get David Price without giving away Bundy or Gosman. That's what it was, right? Bundy or Gosman. Yep. I think that it's possible that a package of Hunter Harvey mm-hmm. and J.J. J. Hardy... To the Rays, mm-hmm. might do it. That's a lot of alliteration. <laughs> you're giving them the HH. You're giving them the old HJ, basically.
1: Well, is what three H's doing. and two J's. That's, that's <laughs> for one DP, which is <laughs> also known as a pretty good Friday night in <laughs> Tampa. So you'd rather, uh, and I'm adding a question of my own here because I, I I agree with your basic analysis. You're more excited about the David Price cole hamill's platter than you would be say about the the ace arm that is jorge de la rosa (laughs) uh
0: yes yes in a word
1: (laughs) yes um in two words
0: yes yes (laughs) what what in fact and in fact what i'm worried about is being convinced to overpay for jorge de la rosa or aj burnett or someone of that caliber Uh, because aj burnett's name has come up several times uh, as the
1: trade deadline talk heats up see my my thinking and uh, i know that this is not entirely true because we did go out and get scott Feldman last year who i think was not markedly better than a lot of our guys um but it seems to me that uh, at this point we really do have the market cornered in f- three four five pitchers and it, there's just no benefit because I- you can't you can't combine unfortunately you can't create a um, bud norris delorosa um, hybrid and gain their combined ability in the baseball diamond, (laughs) you unfortunately have to give one or the other of them the ball every time out.
0: Yeah. Well, and I would even say we've cornered the market on number two, number three guys. Because Mm. for me, this year's... market is not cornered on number two guys. (laughs) Well, sure, sure, sure. (laughs) But I don't think there's anybody in our rotation who you're running out there and just crossing your fingers and hoping for five innings, five runs. That was true in the past. As recently, I would say, as last year... when I think it was necessary to get a Bud Norris and a Scott Feldman, because Kevin Gaussman was not ready to step into the rotation and take it on. And, you know, if you look at the peripherals from Jimenez this year, though the one-loss record is ugly, in the aggregate, he hasn't been a horrible pitcher. Yes, he's leading the major leagues in walks, but... (laughs) That's okay. Um, You know, I think he has still been serviceable and he's kept us in games that we wouldn't necessarily have been in otherwise. Is that damning with faint praise at $12 million a year? Yes, it is. But we don't have a weak rotation this year. So I think if we're going to upgrade the rotation, let's take it to 11 instead of bringing in a Burnett bringing in a De La Rosa, somebody like that who is going to give us more of what we already have, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but this, as we have discussed a lot on the show recently, would appear to be our best clean shot at a division title in years. Certainly unobstructed,
1: as shots at titles go.
0: And it's an opportunity that we may not have again for a long time, particularly because At this point, barring some kind of moonshot from the Yankees, our only competition is the Blue Jays, and as we've seen many times, the Blue Jays' front office, for the most part, will not spend the money to do what it takes to make these kind of acquisitions. And David Price, if you're trading for David Price, it's because you're signing David Price to a contract extension, unless you're an idiot.
1: And it's also, uh, to to, to that point even further, it's further injuring any chance at all that the Rays rise from the dead. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we have gotten a couple emails from our friend Josh from New Jersey. Josh, thank you for listening and thank you for writing. Uh, We really appreciate the time. Uh, But Josh, in this same vein, wants to know, what do we think of the Orioles limiting Bundy to only 75 pitches in starts, apparently a cap that is hard for this entire year? I think that is absolutely
0: brilliant. Uh, I think, (coughs) as we have also discussed many times on this show, developing young pitching not exactly our strong suit until here recently when yeah. knock on wood, ring bells, <laughs> praise Jesus. Throw salt over your left shoulder. Uh, we appear to have successfully delivered Kevin Gosman to the precipice of a productive major league career. I rang the bell. I praise okay. Jesus. It's fine. Okay, good. We're, we're, we're jinx proof right now. Don't All worry. Right.
1: All right. This is more than just a pun bell, Allen.
0: We're in the zone. This is a bell we're of salvation. The,
1: we're in the salvation zone. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, am relieved.
0: Uh, as it were, <laughs> because uh, I think uh, it the most likely scenario is that Bundy comes up and pitches some meaningful innings in relief for us this year Yeah, down the stretch. Um, and goes into spring training ready to be a full-strength starter next year. By all accounts with Dylan Bundy, we have a special once-in-a-generation talent who also happens to be an incredibly hard worker. Yeah. And I think that there is no point this year when there is not urgent need for him in the rotation to bring him along any faster than seems to be medically um, reasonable to do. Because we need Dylan Bundy to be the ace of the staff
1: for the next 10 years. Can you, and here's my plan for the Dylan Bundy experience. Uh, You bring him up, you put him in there for the 75 pitches, you pull him on 75 pitches every single time, regardless of what's going to happen, and insert Wei-Yin Chen as a follow-up pitcher for the next four innings. Because as we've discussed, wei and Chen is not good in the fifth and sixth innings, but his one through four pretty good. As long as we can give up two roster spots to keep one pitcher effectively on the, in, on the Major League squad, <laughs> then I feel really good about Bundy for the first four and then Chen for the next four. Thereby doing exactly what you
0: just a moment ago said we couldn't do, which is right. to
1: create a hybrid pitcher. Exactly. So so I'm going to I'm going to renege what I said Great. and um and then if we need to in any of these situations we can just say uh 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 drain Ubaldo Jimenez of his blood and inject it directly into Wei Yin Chan if he starts to flag a little bit. Yeah, so we can even create like a, th- a triple, a triple threat. The only thing that would be really wonderful about that
0: mm-hmm. is if instead of Wei-Yin Chen, it was Brian Mattis. Ooh. So we then had a daisy chain of Dylan Bundy, Brian Mattis, and then Zach for the first eight <laughs> innings, and then Zach Britton for the ninth. Meaning that uh, our far- minor league farm system was able to successfully string three pitching prospects together to get through one baseball game
1: well there's no way that brian Matt gets through more than an inning because eventually a right-hander will come up but i like your theory (laughs) (laughs) i feel that the uh that the that the bundy chen um that the bundy chen britain no hitter Mm -hmm. when it happens because that's the only kind of no hitters that orioles pitchers throw uh, is the is the three pitcher no hitter will be a a a the sort of the sort of no hitter that I can really get behind as an Orioles fan?
0: Can you, Alan Smith, name the Oriole pitchers who combined to throw the last uh, tag
1: team no hitter? I couldn't even tell you the damn starter. I can tell you two of them. Okay. I think there were four. I think that there were four, two, maybe even five.
0: That that's would not be at all surprising. Uh, the starter, I believe, was Bob Malacky. <laughs> the closer was Greg Olson. Okay, okay. And I feel like Mike Flanagan was involved.
1: <laughs> Probably. Somewhere. Um, you are, you are, you've gotten three of the four.
0: There's, there's only one more? Yep. Okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Malackey to Flanagan to blank to Olson. Malackey to Flanagan to blank to Olson. Blank is... Here it comes. Here it comes. I know who it is. It's his first name's Mark. What? Yep. Am I right? Yes. Am I right? His last name starts with an H. No. Oh. All right. I can't do it.
1: Mark Williamson. Mark Williamson. It's pretty good.
0: I remember his (laughs) windup over the head High stirrups, real yep. and real stirrups too. <laughs> Not fucking the kind around. Kind of buck wears sometimes. Yep. Through straight overhand, twelve o'clock fastball, topped out at
1: about eighty six. There you go. Now uh, here's a. Do you know the through the through the previous no hitter for the Orioles? Uh, gotta be gotta be Mike Cuellar, Jim Palmer in uh, nineteen sixty nine.
0: Did I really just, when discussing great feats by Oriole pitchers, assume that it was someone besides Jim
1: Palmer? And also, you pulled Mike Flanagan and Mark Williamson out of your ass, but whiffed on Palmer. (laughs) Uh, So both of them were against the Oakland Athletics, which is interesting. And uh, Palmer allowed eight base runners during his no-hitter. Really? Which is really an interesting, I think, feat when you consider... um, how pitch counts and limits and et cetera have gotten the idea of a no hitter with eight men on base and one pitcher throughout pretty hard to imagine
0: it's kind of your uh your edwin jackson style yeah no only, hitter only kind of slightly more so yeah your francisco liriano no nice <laughs> as twer.
1: uh do you think sam that we need to pick up another catcher this is also from our boy josh in new jersey
0: I do not think that we need to pick up another catcher because I think what we have going with Hundley and Joseph is actually working really well hmm. defensively, for sure. Okay. Um, the my principal fear when Weeders was injured was not necessarily necessarily the hit we were going to take in offense, but one of the things that I think is really remarkable about uh, the Orioles pitching staff is how how few stolen base attempts. There are on them. Never mind the fact that Weeders usually throws out a very high percentage of base stealers. Mm -hmm. I think when you look at the numbers um, in terms of attempts, the number of attempts by opposing base runners is absurdly low. And I don't know how it compares to other teams in the league, but teams, by and large, do not run on the Orioles. Unless it's somebody like Ellsbury, who's going to run no matter who you are. Right. We don't have a lot of guys trying to... Uh, sneak their way into scoring position against us. And in the past, I thought that was simply respect for Weeder's arm. It turns out mm. that both Joseph and Hundley do a very good job of controlling the running game as
1: well. And is that because we have guys who are quick to the plate? Is that is that Buck Showalter being... Um cagey about when he throws over what's what's going on there well i
0: think a lot of the credit does go to our pitchers as well bud norris in particular has an excellent pickoff move yep he has one of those pickoff moves where he's standing in the set position and then all of a sudden he kind of snaps horizontally and has thrown the ball over to first base right way chen is left-handed um uh, tillman has that slide step that he uses um so i think the pitchers contribute a certain amount to this as well but Caleb Joseph has, at last check, thrown out over 50% of opposing base stealers who tried to run on him. Hundley's numbers are very good. Uh, so the defense has been absolutely stellar, and mm-hmm. I think it's well proven in Major League Baseball that you don't need a catcher who can contribute very well offensively to compete. But you do need rock-solid defense, and we have that. Um, I also think that by having a platoon of roughly equal players obviously Hundley's a little bit more skilled offensively but I think Joseph's been coming around as he gets more cuts uh means that it's very unlikely that either of them is going to get tired because they split playing time so evenly right our pitchers clearly love throwing to them because our ERA as a staff since uh June 1st has been I believe fourth in the league maybe third yep um so whatever is going on is working And I think that when you talk about catching, the most important thing is that the starting pitchers feel comfortable throwing to them. The next most important thing is that they can control the running game. The next most important thing is that they don't allow pass balls. And the final important thing is offense. And we're getting three of those four things in spades. Whatever we get for the fourth is fine. Offense is not the weak spot of the Baltimore Orioles.
1: And who would you go out and get? I mean that's the other question. Like, right, exactly. is, is there is there another catcher that is suddenly available that would be the sort of person you would be able to pay to get, and then on a short enough leash that you would allow Weathers to regain his position next year when he inevitably comes back and is the starter.
0: Right. I mean, I think the only name that is out there that is affordable that might be interesting would be Saltalamacchia. Well, there's
1: Przinsky, but we well, appear but, not to want him.
0: But and to me, Przinsky defensively is a non-factor. That's true and uh whatever intangibles if you want to call them those he brings to a clubhouse are not the kind of intangibles that we need they clearly are not what they needed in boston and his bat is gone the man's 37 years old so what he brings to our club is another free swinging guy with occasional power who's on the decline and a huge ego exactly um, so I, I mean, Saltilamakia is, is interesting because he has a certain amount of power and if weeders does end up leaving, I think Saltalamachia is a decent replacement, but Saltalamachia's numbers throwing out opposing base stealers are not very Terrible. good. Terrible. So uh, to me, it's not worth it, but more importantly, what we have now, I think is actually working
1: very well. Our longtime listener, Julia Femularo writes about, uh, Kamish, Bud Seelig. And a very interesting article that she passed along, which makes some interesting points about Seelig and his legacy. But one that I think we need to address on this program is that had Seelig retired a few years ago, we would have George W. Bush, the commissioner, and not the ex-president, discuss. Oh, my goodness. Yep. He was, he was looking for the job, G-dubs. And uh, instead, when he was not able to become the commissioner of Major League Baseball, he, according to this article, went to his backup choice, president of these United States of America. (laughs) That's
0: terrifying to think about. (laughs) And I think it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, as we have talked about many times on this show... Uh, baseball is something that's great about America yep. and is ultimately very silly. And That seems
1: to fill the, 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 the sort of platonic ideal of what George W. Bush represents for me.
0: Exactly. So uh, I think it would have been wonderful to have him in the commissioner's seat. I don't think it would have been possible for somebody to mismanage the steroid scandal more than Bud
1: Selig did. Um, so check this out. We now have a new entry for travel back in time and kill one person and change the course of the entire world what happens if you go back to let me see what this would be 2000 say mm-hmm. and bump off bud selig george w bush drops his candidacy to beco- become the uh the commissioner of major league baseball someone else wins the presidency entirely and is sitting in there for 9-11 uh,
0: someone else al gore is who wins the <laughs> presidency. <laughs> Well, excuse Who? me, excuse me. Uh, Al Gore did win the presidency,
1: right? Excuse me. He is
0: he is officially recognized and inaugurated as president
1: because presumably his margin is a little bit higher, a little bit higher. So I don't know. That's just an interesting uh, an interesting alternate alternate reality to consider. I need a drink. <laughs> Good thing I have one right here. What are you
0: drinking out there tonight, ladies and gentlemen? Let us know at Be Morons. <laughs> On Twitter, which is where many of these fine questions come to us from. And thank you very much for sharing all of
1: them. Let's go back to our friend Nick in Motion, who uh, asks us to discuss string theory. String theory. Now, this is the first time I've ever seen string theory as a hashtag. So hats off to Nick. Uh, maybe this is a popular hashtag that I was not aware of. But, click, um,
0: click on it and see what comes up. Okay, I'm on it. While you do that, I will explain string theory to you. <laughs> okay. Um, so... I am a person who likes Dr. Martin's shoes. Okay. I wear them on a daily basis. Okay. I've had numerous pairs throughout my life, although not that many, because Dr. Martin's are very durable. Sure. it's a solid investment. Sure. Of your, of your footwear dollar. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would, however, make one quibble with the Dr. Martin's shoes, and that is this. The shoelaces, or should I say shoe strings- Yes. On those shoes, uh, leave a lot to be desired. They wear down very quickly. Um, uh, a couple of hmm. months of wear, and all of a sudden, they're they're shredding, frayed, they're disintegrating, they're becoming frayed, and I have to replace these shoelaces on my otherwise rock solid, and might I add, very stylish shoes. <laughs> and I think, Alan, uh-huh. that as as anyone who's ever studied string theory knows. Sure. um, It's a a textbook example of string theory which is of course the scientific fact that (laughs) things which seem perfect Uh often have one small defect that can ruin the experience if you let it.
1: And here's what you
0: have to do. Okay. You have to not let it ruin the experience. Now, let's take a look at your 2014 Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> you see what I'm doing here?
1: Oh, wow. This is
0: some advanced podcast hosting
1: that's happening right now. It's not particularly advanced particle physics, which is where many people would have gone with this, but th- let's, let's let it happen.
0: You know, <laughs> if you want a particle physics es- explanation of string theory, go listen to Stringcast <laughs> or whatever. Go listen to Radio Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, do. Fine program. Fine program. Excellent work.
0: However, you're here and you're stuck with it. Because as we all (laughs) know, it is impossible to pause podcasts. It's true. So, your 2014 Baltimore Orioles. Lots to love. Very strong offense, top to bottom, with as yet untapped offensive potential. Yep. Looking at you, Manny Machado. Looking at you, Chris Davis. Mm. You got a starting pitching staff that, while not dominant, has very few weaknesses. You got clutch hitting. You do. You have a master tactician at the helm. Mm. You have the best defense in Major League Baseball. Okay. Looks pretty good, right? Looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. Does Adam Jones swing at the first pitch a lot with runners in scoring position? Does he pop it up sometimes? Yeah, it's been known to happen. That's what happens, right? That's what happens. Does Chris Davis refuse to lay off the bouncing breaking ball. Certainly. He does. That's what he does. Does Manny Machado take walks? Manny Machado doesn't take walks. Does Zach Britton strike a lot of guys out? Zach Britton does not strike a lot of guys out, and that's what you want a closer to do. But he also will not let the ball go up in the air ever. (laughs) He does not allow that to happen. Nope. So these little tendencies strung together. Do you see what I am doing, Smith? I got you. Strung together. There you go. These are the kind of things that a lot of advanced analysts would tell you could spell doom for a team and could mean that they don't have what it takes to persevere uh, in a long season down the stretch in a division as competitive as the American League East. Right. So we can either buy into that or we can lace up our Doc (laughs) Martens and we can get out there and believe in ourselves. (laughs)
1: And that is how string theory works. Uh, For those of you who have other interests in string theory, check out the Scientific American podcast uh, and the Complete Idiot's Guide to String Theory with George Mauser and his book, The Complete Idiot's Guide to String Theory, published July 16th, 2008. Why didn't
0: he call it String Theory 101? Moving on.
1: (laughs) I just want everyone to know um, that with Koji Iwahara getting a single out By strikeout in tonight's All-Star game, that makes the fourth former Orioles pitcher to pitch in tonight's All-Star game.
0: Are you, okay, can I, you're, because I'm really good at guessing quartets of pitchers.
1: You have, you have appeared to be.
0: My first guess is Koji Wahara. Yes. Jake Arrieta. Go on. Okay. Koji Wahara, Jake Arrieta. Um, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Bear with.
1: Bear with uh alfredo simone god damn it (laughs) who is somehow an all-star and uh mr frankie rodriguez oh
0: really we're calling him
1: a former oriole (laughs) look
0: facts are facts oh so (laughs) i guess in your world alan smith Uh uh-huh uh pete harnish (laughs) should have his picture
1: on the warehouse (laughs) <laughs> no, look. That's what you're claiming. All, all I'm saying is he put on the black and orange. N- that's what you're claiming. I, I, uh, I, I, made, I made no such claims. <laughs> okay. Okay. So are we about, Sam, you mentioned, you mentioned offensive potential here. Mm-hmm. Jake um, from Bird's Eye View wants to know, are we about to be living in Manny Machado's world? Is this about to be the breakout that we've all been hoping for? He does appear to be heating up, and are we going to see this first half of his rookie campaign all over again?
0: Well, uh, I think there are a lot of things to be excited about in terms of what we've seen from Machado lately. Among them, he has started effectively hitting the ball to the opposite field again, which is what he did so well well. for the first four months of 2013. Uh, He has also... Started to have the experience that a lot of people predicted that he would have, which is that a lot of his fly balls that bounced off the wall last year and became doubles are going out. He's already got right. nine home runs this year. Yep, and is on pace to eclipse his career high of fourteen last year. However, his plate discipline has not improved. Not a ton, no. And Manny but Machado, in the last couple
1: of weeks, it has.
0: It has. That's true. And I think if those trends continue, then yeah, the answer to Jake's question is yes. If those trends do not continue, Manny Machado continues to be somebody who has a very long, loopy swing, Mm -hmm. which, when he's right, he uses to generate excellent plate coverage and spray the ball, which is the hallmark of very good hitters. But the other hallmark of most good hitters, especially when they don't have very good plate coverage, is bat speed. And Manny does not have very good bat speed. Hmm. So I think if Manny really wants to take the last step, he needs to sit down... With Steve Pierce, who has, or Nick Marcakis, who I think probably have the best batting eyes on the team for my money, um, and take a couple pages out of their notebooks. Uh, if he, I think that is the last piece for Manny to become the the inevitable Hall of Famer that we all hope that he can be.
1: See, I think the thing, the interesting thing about Manny is that I, I feel like his, um, I feel like Manny Machado is a, defensive player and that's where he his bread and butter is and will be and I think the the interesting thing we saw with Manny was when he started to make errors and when he started to muck things up a little bit I think his offense um, fell away and I think he was starting to think about the game too much when he goes back to his super fluid super easy play around the you know uh, around third base that the offense then sort of flows naturally from that. So for me, it's Mm -hmm. about him continuing to get the reps and continuing to make those crazy plays over at third base, which he's doing again. It makes me feel a lot better about the whole process. And
0: you know who profiles very much like you're talking about from Oriole history, one Mr. Brooks Robinson. Absolutely. Who I think any of us would be very happy to have. uh, (laughs) Yes. The
1: second coming of. I'd be fine with it. I'd be fine with it. Um. Okay. I hate JJ Reddick. Wants to know: Do you prefer Golden Grams or Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Golden Grams all the way. But
0: I will say CTC man. CT- you're a Cinnamon Toast Crunch guy. Oh yeah. Now is that just because you thought that the chefs in the Cinnamon Toast Crunch cartoons would be fun to hang out with?
1: Didn't get to watch cartoons as a kid. Didn't get to eat any sort of sugary cereal ever except for when i went to my grandparents and they had cinnamon toast crunch. Uh,
0: I see. I see. Well, so but so that sounds like you've never even tried golden grain. Oh, i've tried them. Which sounds like I've your tried them.
1: your opinion is. They're not they're not they're not as good.
0: They're by invalid. Have you ever put good. blueberries on them? Whoa. You're you're out of your element, smith. Whoa. You're out of your element. I've been playing this game longer than you have. Shit. I want you to tomorrow morning. Okay. Go get some golden grams. All right. Put some blueberries on them. Okay. And then I want you to give me a call. (laughs) Sounds good. We will follow up in episode 102, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen.
1: All right. Um, We have a question from Sirsikaupaji.
0: Oh, is this Wes Smiley? Sure. Yeah. This is Wes Smiley. I don't know how to pronounce his Twitter handle
1: either. Wes, get in touch with us. Tell us how the hell to say that word. (laughs) (laughs) And Wes wants to know why we are <clears throat> so bad on Sundays why can the Orioles not win a damn Sunday game well it's a very interesting question um, I think one thing that
0: we probably collectively as fans don't think about is how hard it is to play nine innings of intensely competitive baseball until 11 o'clock or midnight on Saturday Mm-hmm. Wake up, so probably go back to the clubhouse, have a meal, hang out with the players, sign some autographs, do whatever you do. Sure. Uh, If you're Darren O'Day, probably go out and hit the clubs until four o'clock in the morning. Uh, Go back to your house, (laughs) sleep maybe until nine or so, and I think most of the time the players are getting to the ballpark four to five hours before game time the next day, which is usually 105 or 130. Right. That is very little recovery time. That is very little recovery time. Okay. And when you look at the Orioles, the, this is an American League team, which means that most of the players are playing all nine innings of every game. It's not the National League where there's a lot of subbing and stuff happening. So that means that there's more wear and tear that's happening. And we also, I think, more so than a lot of other teams, at least in our division, and I would say the around the rest of baseball, uh, Buck does not uh, – Buck doesn't – doesn't cotton to that's what i was cotton looking for to. Buck all right does not cotton to a lack of hustle every single one of our guys uh you're seeing um you know bust down the first baseline on ground balls pretty much run it in the red at all times uh one of the other things that often the orioles often get praised for is their excellent physical conditioning um it one of the reasons that we don't have as many injuries as other teams is because you don't see a lot of out-of-shape players on our roster. Okay. So I think, you know, doing something like not succeeding very well on Sundays when you're a first-place team in the American League East is going to be because of weird little fringe reasons uh, and not because of some larger trend. And so if I had to identify some some characteristics of our team that would contribute to that, I think it's those. Mm. And if also I would like to say if we're going to have a weakness, I'd rather it be that than, you know, um, an inability to uh, score more than three runs in a game like, say, this year's Red Sox
1: or the San Diego Padres. See, I think you've misdiagnosed the entire thing. Oh, dear. I think the problem is that you and I have not called any Sunday games yet.
0: Ah, well, we'll have to do something about that. Right.
1: I think this is in, this is one of those situations. As you have described, um, that the only reason that we could be bad on Sunday games is because of marginalia. Little shit that doesn't um, necessarily set us that far apart from the rest of the squads. Because all the things you describe are probably true, but probably also fairly relevant for the other teams in question. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the champagne and campaigning probably continues on the road as well as at home, and <laughs> the propensity for a late-night game the night before probably carries over from the other team we we're playing in that same series. So in this case, we have to look for some dark horse elements, and I think that the clear one, the crystal clear one, is the fact that we have not yet taken our, our mantle up and called a, a day game a 105 first pitch on a Sunday.
0: Well, as you know, Alan, so I uh, want to
1: apologize to the Baltimoreans for our terrible our terrible Sunday record. We'll see what we can do.
0: We will see what we can do. Uh, as as Alan knows, and maybe you guys are not aware, it's Tuesday night, and as soon as we finish rolling tape here, I will take my midnight shift as the WALT traffic reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd actually be amazed at the amount of traffic on the streets in Brooklyn, <laughs> New York, at midnight. Um, <laughs> but so while I'm there, I'll talk to the uh, I'll talk to the station manager, and I'll see. If we can get ourselves a broadcast slot on an upcoming Sunday afternoon,
1: great. All right, Baltimoreans, thank you for all these fantastic questions. We have one more to go out on. Chad Hassan at Chad Hassan on Twitter wants to know about Camden Yards history, specifically as it relates to Cal Ripken. And I happen to know, I happen to know, Sam, that you were at a a, a pretty important game in both of those, both that individual and that places. uh uh, history
0: indeed i was if you were referring to the game in the 1996 division series where jeff rebele hit a home run off randy johnson oh is that not what you're what 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 game are you talking about
1: that 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 is uh 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 uh,
0: completely irrelevant (laughs) 96 division series 97
1: division series anyway please continue uh you were at cal's game yeah i was indeed what what were your what's your what's your one outstanding memory from from being at the record center?
0: Um, Cal related, I think it has to be um, as I said on the show last week the lap that he took around the ballpark, shaking hands with as many fans as he possibly could, mm-hmm. uh, because I think in doing that he affirmed what everybody always knew about Cal, which was that he understood that the game is for the fans, and that without the fans showing up and supporting the team over the years, uh, it wouldn't mean anything that there would be no honor associated with his streak. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would just be something that he was doing in a vacuum for his own self edification. But instead he represented something to people and his, his manifesting of that by literally shaking hands with them and showing gratitude was very powerful for me as someone who endowed with, who personally endowed him with so much um, honor and who to me as a kid represented so much about what was right about being an adult and being a professional. Um, It's also on a personal note, uh, the first time and still one of maybe two or three times that I saw my dad cry. Hmm. Um, And I think I didn't maybe understand this at the time, but over time I have come to feel like my dad did that because what Cal did was so important and the magnitude of it was really overwhelming to him Hmm. and represented, without getting into too much detail, uh, an ability to commit to something in a way that maybe my dad was not able to. And... This was something that had been going on for the majority of my dad's adult life and the majority of his relationship with me, and it was the two of us at the game. And so seeing Cal breaking Lou Gehrig's streak prompt this response from my dad was very potent emotionally for me, both in the moment and has continued to be resonant um, over the rest of my adult life.
1: I just want to add to that... um story to go out on that in his goodbye all-star game cal ripken hit a home run indeed he did suck it Jeets.
0: (laughs) and alex rodriguez did the only classy thing he's ever
1: done that's true which was to allow cal ripken to play shortstop everybody gets one (laughs) (laughs) so thank you uh on twitter on the emails out there in the universe for sending us those questions i hope you Weren't too turned off by our loosey-goosey bourbon-fueled ramble through them. Uh, appreciate you tuning in, as always. We will be back next week with uh, slightly more regular Baltimoreans, And, uh, like Sam said, try to get out on WALT Radio in the not-too-distant future. We should also mention that the good boys over at Bird's Eye View are putting on their first annual Birdland Bash a community softball game, and night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards all combined on August the 2nd. Now, unfortunately, neither Sam nor I can be in attendance, but that actually may be a selling point. Um, And if it is, (laughs) get on over to birdseyeviewbaltimore.com and find their tickets. You'll get a customized T-shirt by OBP Apparel, You will get a ticket to the Orioles game. You will get to play some softball with some excellent people at Bird's Eye View. And, and on top of all of those things, you won't have to deal with Sam or I. So check it out. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: uh, there is, of course, just one more question to be answered.
1: What's the music playing in the background right now? Oh, this music (laughs) right now that you're hearing? Yeah. This is,
0: if all is gone according to plan. By the way. I used a tremendous amount of unattributed music in episode 100 last
1: week. Sure.
0: Um, And if you can send us an email identifying all of the songs that were used, we'll send you a Baltimore Ons t-shirt. Boom. Because, you know, there was a motif going on.
1: Three quarters length baseball t-shirt, got the Baltimore script on the front, got the how y'all doing on the side, got a lovely little logo on the back they're pretty nice
0: just ask Godzilla. you in, and soon you should ask seductive tommy hunter have not put his in the mail yet sorry about that tom sorry buddy <laughs> uh so it's coming it's here right now you're listening to the black crows with kicking my heart around right uh the intro is of course our theme music which is written and performed by marshall york come on dean and you like dean where you at buddy where you at Uh, Dean also did of course provide the title for this week's show Bourbon or Bust (laughs) I think uh, we know which one of those it was but Alan yes our last question comes to us from uh, from listener Sam Dingham okay and uh, it goes like this what do you call Henry Arudia when he is serving as the backing band for Jimmy Fallon
1: Uh, would that be Henry the Roots Rudia? Henry, Henry the Yerutzia? The Yeruzia. I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. Sam, what would you call Henry Rudia if he was um, up on stage in the NBA? If he was in the waiting room as a about-to-be-drafted NBA star? Um, Henry Yerukia? Well, I was going with Henry Nice-Suit Rudia. Let's go with yours,
0: <laughs> and not mine. I, I like I like that one. <laughs> Any more? Any more, Eruvia? No, nah, I am. I'm, I'm,
1: I I am much like Henry Eruvia. Out.
0: <laughs> we gotta we gotta keep some bullets in the
1: chamber. Talk to you next week.
0: Goodbye. Home run. is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com.